a post Messi edition of the Union Soccer Podcast. I know Messi is a global superstar. I imagine we might get tired of hearing that name a little bit on this podcast today. It is the Union Soccer Podcast. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Also, we are part of the Fox Sports the Gambler family, foxphlgambler.com. Follow us on socials at foxphlgambler. But this is also in the Union Soccer blog, unionsoccerblog.substack.com. The owner of that blog, it's owner, do you operate it? Are you you're you're just everything. Joe Tanzi, you can follow at jtanzi90. My name is John Jansen. All I do is just host, give Joe some questions. You can follow me at jjansen34. The messy madness, Joe, has it worn off for you yet? Are you good? Are you refreshed? How you feeling after a whirlwind, I would say, like, what, four days, four or five days leading up to Messi and Chester? I was waiting to see how you were intro there. Owner, operator... Whatever you want to be. Writer, head, Writer. Head editor, lead, <laughs> yeah. lead content editor, officer. The EIC, the editor-in-chief there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The How many all- titles do you have the Union Soccer Blog? <laughs> the all-powerful at Union Soccer Blog. <laughs> yeah. yes. The Wizard of Oz at the Union Soccer Blog, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so subscribe there. Um, plenty of stuff coming because everybody else is gone, but we're still here, and there's a third-place game to be had this week, and... I guarantee you that I will be one of maybe like three media there. I so, was about to say. Um, yeah. So uh, if you need any um, Monterey versus Union coverage, go Union Soccer Blog because there will be plenty uh, coming from tomorrow's media session as well as Saturday's game, which is a refreshing 6 o'clock kickoff. I didn't know what – first of all, I didn't know what to do like with a 7 p.m. kickoff. I'm like – wait, I can be home before midnight and actually be on like a normal sleep schedule. And then I ended up sleeping like six hours yesterday afternoon. Um, <laughs> so it didn't matter. But yeah, um, the messy apocalypse has. Is that what we're calling? I didn't know if you were going to call it the messy massacre, the messy apocalypse. I didn't I know mean, what, was was, what was the title. There's it was no a massacre. doubt about that. It was definitely a massacre. Um, Whatever you want to call it. I mean, it wasn't good from the union perspective. No, and I guess you, what what the, the question is now is what where do we start with that? Because in the beginning, it's all about atmosphere and how amazing this moment is as you're seeing the bridge in Subaru Park all over in the background mm-hmm. and the river and then Messi's in Subaru Park on the field warming up. And the messy jerseys, the union kits, they kind of all blended together because the Argentina colors and the uh, the alternate mm-hmm. alternate kits from last year for the union, all the same color, so it was really hard to tell at times. But it is this incredible atmosphere that was, I mean, deflated within, at least for most of the audience, deflated within a few minutes. So how how do you how do you look at that game? Like what is what is post messy, post messy in Chester? Where do you begin with that? There's so many ways to approach it right because there's a big picture way there's a small picture way there's a a way to just condemn the union for not spending and they'll never be this um even in the same stratosphere as, as miami ever um from a small picture um you have to rebound for to play a third place game you have to win to get in the champions league the other big picture item is is Jim Curtin in in big games. It's Andy Reid with the Eagles. You know, he, you win like that. I think that's an apt comparison now, right? Because, it is. I saw that comparison floating around on Twitter. So yeah, because he, he'll get you there, but 
it, it does feel like the, the big game. You know, I, I asked Alejandro Bedoya after the game, I'm like, how do you guys get over the hump? And, you know, it, it comes down to like a psychological thing. I mean, because they played decent, but when you're set up to fail, it'll come back to haunt you. And they, they had no business being in that game from the start. And it, it was just, it, it felt like the 2018 Open Cup final in Houston, where that game was over in 20 minutes. Like, that was that was the worst half of soccer I've seen this team play since that, that Open Cup final um, in Houston. And we all know what happened after that. They famously just backed into the playoffs, had to play NYCFC twice at the end of the regular season and in the playoffs. And when Ernie Sturt was met with, with those criticisms, uh, he pushed back on it very hard. Like, no, we didn't back into the playoffs at all. You did in, in the Open Cup final hurt you. Now it's a completely different set of circumstances, you know, in 2023 with a team that's now won a bunch of things, but the way I felt at least, and and I know speaking to to fans um, and speaking to other people in the press box, they felt differently. But to me, just going into that game, it felt more like the union in those two home open cup finals against Seattle and Kansas city where they are the decided underdog, their stars on the other side, established teams on the other side, and the union need to be perfect in every department to even be in that game. Yeah, and, and that's that's where I, I – since you brought that up now, you know, I, I think that's, that's part of the questions that come up, you know, when they lose to an LAFC and Gareth Bale's mm-hmm. coming off the bench and he was the difference maker. And obviously a difference maker being uh, Busquets and Messi and all the mm-hmm. other changes that Miami made, you know, that, that seems to be a big difference. And you know, how do the union combat that? Is there a way to combat that? Like, is, is this just – an impossible situation sometimes, and you just have to play the perfect game. And obviously, the union did not in Tuesday and uh, the league's champion uh, semifinal, league's cup semifinal. But what what is what is a way to to put the the union on equal terms to to equalize this? Is there a way to do that? I don't think equal terms. With, you can't equal terms with Messi and right. and Carlos Vela, but I, I think there's a way to do it. I mean, look at look at what Nashville has done. So that Hani Mukhtar was a phenomenal signing from the start, and it took them years to get over one bad signing at striker. Now they signed Sam Surridge from from Nottingham Forest, looks the part so far. You know, still TBD on what his long term success is going to be, but you see that you see Columbus going after Cucho Hernandez to partner with Zellerion, and now they, they, they've basically swapped Zellerion for Diego Rossi. Um, there are ways to do it without bringing in Messi or Neymar, which, let's be honest, would have been catastrophic for the league. Yes, Neymar is a name, but, man, there's no player in the world that ha- hasn't lived up to expectations more than Neymar. Um, that would, I think, personally... That would have been a disaster had he had he signed. I'm kind of glad he signed in, in Saudi Arabia. That kind of fits the 
the mold and kind of shows the difference between like the Messies of the world and the yeah. Ronaldo's. And the, well, the I, I, like, I, I did the, the terrible thing of making jokes after the Miami game. I was just kind of messing around like I usually do on Twitter because that's what right. Twitter to me is for. That is what the, that is what that vessel is for, for me. And so I made the joke and it was a reply to Kevin Kincaid's tweet. Uh, and it was something about, you know, talent and all that. And I was like, well, the union got Ty Barabo coming in, right? Isn't that, isn't that what's going to fix everything? You know, but that's, that it's just because Ua was supposed to be that, you know, Barbo, they bring somebody in. Um, right. and, and it's all nice pieces. We don't know what Barbo is going to be like. And um, right. he could be fine. He could be a, a really good player. He could be a dud. I hate to say dud. He could be, you know, maybe not not meeting the expectations that we put on Ua when he came over here, all of that. But as as it stands now, it's just none of, that's, none of that feels like it's going to be enough. Well, look at... How, how this, you know, since we're going macro, uh, yeah. I think this is probably the better the better way to go because we all know what happened, what what wrong in the game. Um, Daniel Gazdag was a complete hit by Ernst Tanner. Um, getting Julian Carranza from Inter Miami for not a lot, big hit. And Ua last year seemed to be a big, like a big hit. Now, unfortunately, strikers. Sometimes this happens where they just go out of form. It is what it is. Um, the, Mike, Michael U is not the first or the last forward to have an extended dry spell in front of goal. It just happens that the, it's happened at the worst time possible for the union. Uh, ended up being something that hurt Jim Curtin's decision-making uh, on Tuesday night. Um, so the, the track record is still there. Like... To defend the union for a second, you don't reach all of these semifinals and finals with making bad moves. <laughs> but yeah, by just cobbling <laughs> stuff together. I mean, look, look, like look at how the the first choice eleven is is built. Number one pick in the super draft, you have a, a left back who was plucked from the third division in Germany, who now is trying to argue his case to be a, a DP level player or at least make that type of money. Yep. You don't pay a left back a designated player contract. That's just the valuation of the position, but we'll get into Kyle Wagner's contract situation later. Left in, backs in like season. an NFL running back. Is that what you're trying to tell me? Um, <laughs> I, I don't know if that's a direct <laughs> comparison, but in, in, in a, in a small, like, seen, yeah, different. Yeah. Um, you have a 70, whatever, fourth round super draft pick, a center back from Norway. You have a homegrown, two homegrown right backs, because Baizo has been with the union since he's, you know, it feels like since forever at this point. You you develop Jesus Bueno from this um, Venezuelan signing, and, and, and please go read over that union soccer blog. Jesus Bueno was very open and honest about his, uh, not not playing at all in 2022 and using that as motivation. Um, so you see that. Jose Martinez, we know that's been a success. Um, you know, you look at, at Jack McGlynn, a homegrown who's gaining interest a, a, across Europe. That's no secret. That's you're been you're naming like the while. entire 11. Right. <laughs> and but it's like, amazing. Got, yeah, but, most but like, of these guys are, are right. insanely but, big hits. Right. That's why I'm, I'm doing this exercise yeah. is you have – this this first your first choice eleven so you have Gazdag who's an MVP candidate Garanza 
who at his peak, if he performs incredibly well in the next three months, could get sold for eight figures. Like that's not a unrealistic expectation. And you have Uo, who was a double-digit scorer twice um, with Bronby, one of the top Scandinavian clubs. Yeah, he's had a rough patch of form, but you'd still grade that signing as a success so far based off of of what he's done. And then you look at you know, the, the Leon Fox. Leon Fox is a starter. Every team in MLS, you know, what, no matter what your opinion of, of him is or isn't, like, Okay, maybe 95%. Maybe he doesn't start at LAFC, but he, he's starting. And the majority of MLS clubs would love to have a Leon Flock type player. Um, Alejandro Bedoya. I mean, I know people have been ragging on him this season, but like he's invaluable. Now you get to the tactics of being able to make those changes 45, 60, you know, whatever the, with the micro part of it. But I mean, that was a, a home run of a signing, and that was done way, way before um, Ernst Tanner was even a pipe dream here as a sporting director. So it's there, like the, this this groundwork of successful, the foundation of successful signings is, is, is there, but how do you expand on that is, is what you have to do if you're the union, because is it a Diego Rossi type? You know, the, the, the young South American, he thrives at LAFC, goes overseas, doesn't, you know, doesn't find his footing there, comes back to MLS, um, and is lauded as a, as a huge signing. Is, is it a Cucho Hernandez, you know, a South American who applied his trade in the championship with Watford and, and then comes over here and becomes a star? Like, is it, is it that level of superstar? I don't know if superstar is the right word when they come in, but when they come to MLS, can they turn themselves into superstars and, and household names? That's what you want. I think that's what the union lack. You know, it's the, the household name. Like if you went up to a hundred people on the streets of, of Philadelphia or wherever in the area, the household name is probably Andre Blake. I think that's a, a fair assess- assessment. Maybe Jim Curtin is the first name they, they mentioned. Yeah, that's not a bad one. <laughs> Jim like, Curtin. Goz- yeah. Cause like Gosdag has that, within the the fan base but i don't know if no bigger picture he, no I no you, it's, i don't know if you go outside the bubble it's, it's blake or Andre, yeah right so i think from that standpoint maybe you get a player like that where he scores 20 goals and he's he's flashy and you can put him on billboards and and all that stuff you know maybe that's maybe that's ty barbo in, in two or three years maybe that's michael Ua in two or three years who knows um, but I think there's that, that next echelon of, of player the union could go after and could, could make a difference in these types of games because right. that's, you're not obviously not going to sign Messi. You're not going to sign Sergio. <laughs> you mean Messi's just aren't available anywhere. You can't just get that guy. <laughs> no, you just pluck them off of trees. Pluck any Argentinian um, and get him. But like it, you can make moves within MLS, like look at what Seattle's done over over the years. Look at what Columbus has done with this Rossi Zellerion swap they they've done. Um, you know, it, it's it's very doable. I mean, NYCFC did it with Tati and did it with and they're bringing Maxi Morales back, whatever the the shell of him is now. But like 
they have that that guy and they wanted Julian Carranza to be that guy and he still can be that guy without a doubt but can you can you move yourself into that next echelon of spending where it doesn't have to be a, an eight figure transfer fee you, you don't have to be Atlanta and signing like the the best young South Americans or Miami who's starting to do that right but, but there can, is an echelon above an Uwa and right. a Baraba that you can go you can right. go up yeah. so if you if you can explore that echelon in the off season and and find the right players I mean it, it's proven that you have the the scouting network and the connections and and all of the above to to land these types of players and They've landed an incredible amount of, of fines. Like the, the hit rate that Ernst Tanner has had with the level of signings he's brought in is just remarkable. But to get to that next level, to get to winning a championship, being competitive in a semifinal, being you know, all, all, all of the things we want the union to be, you know, that's probably the, the next step. You have... You have the foundation. You have all of these players in place that have have won a lot of meaningful games. You know, let, let's not take away from that. And, and look, personally, I probably let that those facts go on Tuesday night. But when you're caught up in the emotion of a of a big game and you see the exact same thing from this team that you've seen many times over, it just becomes so frustrating. Um, so look, they've they've won a lot of big games, sure, and if they win the third place game, they're in Champions League or Champions Cup, whatever we're calling it now, and, and you don't have to worry about that, and your sole focus can be on winning MLS Cup, getting as many home playoff games as possible, all of that jazz. And you're playing a lot of home games, a lot of home games at the end of the season. The schedule, it's tough. You're playing, you, you get Cincinnati, LA, and Nashville all at home. Like, that's... <laughs> that's a nice little litmus test for you going into the playoffs. Um, yeah, it's it's frustrating, no doubt, but you're not going to sign the Messies of the world. You're not even going to sign the, the tier under the Messies of the world. But if you can you can find that it's the five five to eight million dollar player, maybe expand that to ten. You can find that type of player. And bring him in and, and have him be a difference maker, then then yeah, I think that's the, the next evolution of where the union can spend and, and compete. So I, I think for me, after that game, my head went even more on a on a bigger level than just the union. Cause I I, I don't think it was a coincidence. You know, you mentioned it was a bad game, the you know, the worst half the union have played. Andre Blake probably played the worst game he did in a union uh, jersey. Right. So and all this happened in Subaru Park, and they conceded four goals, which they haven't done I think since 2018. Like none of that's a coincidence that it happened when Messi was on the field. You know whether that affected them mentally, physically. I don't know what it is, but I don't think that's a coincidence. And so to me, in my head, this was supposed to be the game. Okay, this is one of the best in the MLS, and this is the best test we've seen for Messi. And it was easy for them. Now the Union probably could have played better, made it a little bit harder. But I guess my question to you is, is this is this what life in the league is going to be like with Messi in it? Is this what is this Messi's league now? And this is what we're just going to have to get used to seeing? Here's what I'll say to that. Um, the Union actually did a really good job on Messi. 
Like, look at look at the goals. Messi's directly involved in one of them. Yep. And it's one of his longest goals ever at the club level. Um, they actually did a, a really good job containing his his threat. That obviously gets pushed aside because of the result. But if you take the forty five minutes of the second half, and and that version of the union shows up. We're talking about a completely different game. At least they're they're fighting their tails off and and not look scared. And I guarantee you, there's every person in the locker room would love to see Miami back in Subaru Park during the postseason because they know to a man they can do better. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if we if we can say it's Messi's league to lose yet because uh, I, I'd like to see what Nashville does against him because Nashville has the the backbone defensively. They have the the playmaker. They have a, a striker now that can combine with said playmaker. And if uh, look, Miami's defense still didn't look great. The union didn't capitalize on that, but Miami's defense still had a lot of holes in it. Even in the first half, there were a lot of moments where there were loose balls. It was just way too sloppy from Miami, but, the union were just not up to the task to take advantage of any of that. So yeah. um, I'll be interested to see how Nashville plays them. Um, look, there are going to be a lot of games where Miami just overwhelms teams. Let's be honest. Like that's, that's just how the hierarchy of the league is going to work now. And I know we all kind of joked around about them making the playoffs I think it's you have to consider it a reality now because of, of how well they've played. Yeah, the, the way I view are. things. Because, you know what's funny is, it's just everybody's like, oh, you put Messi on the worst team in the MLS and he makes them the best. By the way, they didn't just add Messi. <laughs> like, this wasn't, well, this wasn't one addition. That's what Jim Curtin made sure to point out. Like It was Busquets, it was Jordi Alba, but also a bunch of young South Americans. And, and Tata Martino had success in MLS with Atlanta United, too, as a manager. Like, that was a huge one. So look... I say look at the next few games Miami plays. They play at Nashville in the League's Cup final. They got to play at Cincinnati in the Open Cup semifinal next week. Red Bulls, they'll probably just absolutely annihilate. <laughs> and they play and they play Nashville again at home, and then they have to go to LAFC. So that that's not like the easiest you know stretch of games. And I'm kind of looking at what they what they have left here. They play they play LAFC on the road, then they host KC. They visit Atlanta. Almada's going to be on his best. They'll beat Toronto. They can beat Orlando. They can beat NYC. They can beat Chicago. They beat Charlotte. Like, Cincinnati going to uh, South Florida. I mean, like, it's a favorable schedule, no doubt. I mean, they're going to have to get something from those Nashville and LAFC league games um, to make it, make it a very serious threat. Like I, I think, I think they can still sneak in as what the eight or nine seed. And I think if you're Apple and MLS, you'd love Miami as that eight or nine seed. Cause then you can play that play in game on top of playing the one seed in the, in a best of three. Um, but that's just, you know, the, the conspiracy theorists that we all have, in ourselves. Um, 
look, you can make an argument they're a top three team in the Eastern Conference right now. <clears throat> Excuse me, and they're only get better. Yeah, like it's it could probably get better, <laughs> which is crazy. Like it, it's Cincy, it's, it's, it's crazy, Nashville, but it's, it's the Union. I don't know if I. We don't know what's going on with Bruce Arena in New England still. So New England's got a big question mark, and, and Petrovich might be gone the next two weeks. Who knows? Um, I would still put the Union above New England. So, yeah, if you're doing a, a hierarchy thing, nobody else in the East is good. Like That's what pe- people don't realize. Like They look at the number in the standings, but who who's good in the East? We've, we've said this since... Like May, yep. no, none of these teams in the Eastern Conference are good. So yeah, it's congested, it's competitive, but it's not good. Like none of these teams uh, are even worthy of winning a playoff series right now. Somebody's going to have to by default because they play each other. But there's a very clear Cincy, Nashville, Union, maybe New England top tier and Miami slots right into that and you know blame whatever you want on that for that that happening but it it's very very clear who the best teams in the Eastern Conference are and if you're Miami you look at that and say well we already beat Orlando we've already beaten Miami or Atlanta already beaten Charlotte like what's going to stop them from beating the Red Bulls or beating NYC. Um, the only way they slip up is against the elite of the elite in MLS, and that's Nashville, LAFC, and Cincinnati on their schedule. Other than that, just pencil in some W's for Inter-Miami, and <laughs> eat, then you just do the playoff math. It's, it's really where it, it stands right now. And um, I, I know we kind of poo-pooed the Miami to the playoffs sentiment when Messi was signed. We're like, oh, Miami's yeah, Miami will still drop points. I, I guarantee there'll be one or two games where it makes a difference between a draw and a win. They, they drop two crucial points. But if he was going in cold, it'd be different. But because they have League's Cup, because they have that Open Cup game um, and potentially an Open Cup final, I mean, the, the only thing I could see stopping Miami is just straight fatigue. Yeah. And just playing so many games in this quick succession. They play in quick succession all the way up until the September international break. Um, that could be what does them in. But, I mean, at this point, you're just kind of throwing darts and hoping they stick because that, that's that's the reality of, of MLS right now. Like, the Eastern Conference is trash. Yes, it is not. So that that's kind of... After that game, to me, that was my prevailing thought: was man, uh, Messi's gonna, Messi's really gonna get Miami to the playoffs, and you know, I, I think of Miami with Messi a lot differently, you know, because it, it's hard to imagine a team coming from the basement and going all the way up. But obviously, it's it's the Messi effect. But the other question I had, and I think uh, a lot of people, this was a a big criticism. I don't want to go too far into the game in terms of you know the X's and O's, what happened, and go over every goal. I, we've done enough of that. Uh, everybody's done enough of that throughout uh, the past by couple the, of days. By the way, real quick, Miami is 12 points back of ninth place right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and these are the teams standing in their way. So let, let's assume, I'm going to assume 
it's going to be Cincinnati, the Revs, the Union, and Nashville in those top four spots. So then it's Orlando, Columbus, Atlanta, Chicago, D.C. I think Columbus is going to be very good. They've gotten better. I think they're a lock to make the playoffs. Atlanta, as chaotic as they are defensively, they still have one of the league's best players in Tiago Almada. Um, I'll, I'll count them in. After that, yeah, I guess Orlando's in there as well. But like any of these teams can can take over Chicago or DC. Now it's it's twelve point gap, and Miami's got two games in hand on DC. They have twelve games left. DC's got ten. I mean, it's it, it's there for the taking. Yeah, it's probably gonna happen. <laughs> right, it and is. that's and that's the, that's the point. We're gonna have this discussion probably in September. And I think we hinted at it earlier in the season mm-hmm. is well the the union not having the one seed in the eastern conference actually benefits them yeah it could like if so- you're the union and, and you look at what their schedule is from uh the dc game on from the presumption of play so it's the final 11 games of the regular season you're very comfortable with being the two seed i think that that should be the goal you know you're better than New England. You get Cincy in your house. You get Nashville in your house. You get LAFC in your house. And the road games, it's D.C., Toronto, Columbus, Charlotte, and New England. Those are games that you can get points off of. You, you solve D.C. Toronto's still bad. Um, Columbus, as, as well as they could play, you could take points off of. You can win in Charlotte and you can win in New England, I mean, yeah, they're going to point to try and make up that 11-point gap to Cincinnati, probably unlikely. But if you get the two seed, which you're three points out of right now, you look really pretty because let's operate under the assumption that Messi and Miami get in. Well, they're not going to get higher than the eight seed because it's, what, 17 points between them and Atlanta right now? I'm just doing math off the top of my head. That would require kind of a colossal tanking from anybody in the top seven. So uh, I think it's realistic to say if you're the union, make sure you get the two seed. Make sure you're on the opposite side of the bracket. It's messy. That'd be nice. Make, make, make sure you get home field advantage through that side of the bracket. That'd be nice. And then you let Cincinnati deal with messy. That would be nice. And you let's like if the bracket falls your way, maybe Cincinnati, Nashville, and Columbus are all on the same side. I would love that. And I think that would be obviously an ideal situation. So that that's obviously hopefully <laughs> hopefully that could be the case when we get there. But uh, another thing coming out of that game, and to go back to more of a focus on the union, again, don't want to go too much into you know all the goals, breakdowns, all that in the game. But the formation got a lot of attention, especially the criticisms right. afterwards, because once you do something sort of that bold and different, I would say, I don't know if it was bold, maybe just difference, the better word. Uh, we weren't familiar with Jim Curtin doing anything like that. It's going to get criticized. And, and Jim Curtin now is getting this uh, sort of label as you know, kind of overthinking things. Uh, to me, I read it in a different way. So I guess I, I will state that I think that was more his back was kind of against the wall there. He Carranza was not available really for that game. Uh, Ua is not in his best form and obviously in the doghouse a little bit. 
And the way that they were playing the last two games, if they played, you know, put out that same exact formation, did the same exact thing they did in the last two games, Messi was going to do this probably even more. Uh, not Messi, Miami, because I don't want to just say Messi, as you just said. Uh, it was more Miami was going to do probably uh, just as good as they did against this this new formation that Jim Curtin rolled out. What was your read on it? Was do you think did they say anything? Did Jim Curtin mention why he went with this? Was it just to be defensive and to yep. put more of a focus, or was there a little bit of, hey, you know, our our two guys at the top, one's hurt and the other one's not playing well. You know, let's just kind of throw something in a little bit different that could um, be a a little bit better tactically to stop Messi. Yeah, Jim was being uber defensive with it with his strategy. Um... Like, I guess my question was, what was that born out of? Was it born out of, like, trying to stop in particular Messi or just the, the form of play and injuries at the I, top? I think it was born out of form. I think it was born out of the best 11. Um, also born out of stubbornness. I think the one, one of the flaws in Jim Curtin's lineup selection is he, he sticks with his guys almost too much or sticks with the formation too much. And the, the line, it, you know, is he wants to get his best of living on the field and can add Ali, Ali Bedoya's injury on top of all that. Yeah, to the, absolutely. To the reasons why this, this back three has been utilized so much. And it worked. Don't get me wrong. It worked at the start of the season. You know, it, it, it served its purpose. But when you, when you go to it too much and the spacing is radically off, in three straight games with it in knockout situations. Um, at some point you kind of just have to give it up and go, okay, let's do something different, um, which I hope they do against Monterey because if not, the same issues will prevail. Um, Lowe had a, a shocking game on Tuesday. Um, Jack Elliott hasn't played great lately. He's had a bad game or two. Um, and they leave Glesnus out in, out on the right or drifting into the middle where he doesn't belong. You want him in the center. You want him being that commanding physical presence in the center, um, and which he can't be because Elliot's the the fulcrum of the the three man back line. So yeah, that was born defensively. Um, the the pre match thought was. Stop Busquets, stop Busquets. That way you can stop Messi. You kind of take the one part of the snake out and it, it, you know, dis, disjoints them. And and look, they, in fairness to the union, they stopped Messi for the most part. They did probably the best job on Messi that um, anyone's done so far. It's just the thought of Messi, the psychological impact of Messi kill them on those opening goals. Like these are mistakes these guys don't make. Like Damian Lowe just absolutely whiffing on a clearance, making it more complicated for himself. And then Jack Elliott just one eye on the center of the box, one eye on Joseph Martinez. Yeah, Joe, I think you're hundred percent right on this, by the way. 
That's like it's not a coincidence yeah. that all this happened with Messi on on the pit. Right. And as you just mentioned, like it's it's they did a good job, but it's it's the psychological thing. It's I, I think yeah. you know it, it happens in every sport. It happens when teams play Patrick Mahomes. It happens when teams play LeBron James. This has probably happened to teams that Messi's played uh, in other leagues. It happens everywhere where this just psychological aspect of I'm facing one of the greatest players in the sport. I have to be perfect, and perfect then leads you to maybe take an extra step to maybe think a little bit more and. I, I think that's that's what we saw ultimately play look, out on Tuesday. Look at what these these big games in the past that they've played against LAFC, against Club America, against you know Atlanta United in, in Champions League. Like all these all of these teams had really amazing players, but the Union never backed down from those games. Especially like the LAFC all- one. That was right. Like when they talk about big games with Jim Curtin and the Union, they they were in that game and they probably should have won that game. They were moments away, and so obviously a few seconds changes everything in terms of perception. But the Union played well in that game. They played well right. in an MLS they, Cup and they, final. They've played well in other game, big games that they've lost, but this one is just it, it was completely different. They were completely wrecked from the start, and I mean. Ali Bedoya said after the game, like, take the second goal, for example. We have three center backs. They had one number nine, and Joseph Martinez is able to break free and then play that that ball over to Messi. I mean, it's just – and then the third goal, Damian Lowe. Damian Lowe is keeping Jordi Alba onside by 10 yards. Nathan Harriel's all the way up the field, you know, 10 yards past the center circle. It's just all discombobulated, and it leads to – you know, a wide open situation for them in, in a play that normally someone would be offside for. Um, they're onside and it leads to, you know, the, the dagger right before halftime. Like if they keep it 2-0 and they make the tactical change like they did into the 4-4-2, it actually makes them somewhat dangerous. I mean, I kept thinking the entire second half, well, what if this was 2-1 now? Because then you can at least put the pressure on and get it to penalties or say like, hey, we made our, our changes, we fought till the end, all of that nonsense. Right. It but seems like they, they and we've seen that second that. halves, they come out strong. But I mean, once once it that, that third goal happened, and I think you even mentioned this too, that game was just way too wide open in the second half. Obviously they had to be, but it was so right. wide open, you were begging for Miami to get that fourth one in. Begging And they actually played they actually played a decent second half. And they that's did. why I think that the diamond has to has to be reinstated for the the Monterey game because you need Bedoya out there you need his experience his his leadership all that um you need to be progressive from the start so you need to put Bizo out there um you just sacrifice one of the center backs just just do it um yeah I think you have to I think I think we it's very clear to me the diamonds diamonds it well I I think in in this in this part of the season, yes. There will be a, a time and a matchup where the three-five-two serves its purpose. Absolutely. There's no doubt it will. Most likely on the road. Um, which is why, I, you know, don't be surprised if you see it when you go back into league play with DC and Toronto. But for a home match, a game you should, you should go out and, and win and not be, not be so standoffish and intimidated in your own building. Um, that, I think, is where the, the issue lies. The the three-man back line, you can make tweaks to it. You can make personnel tweaks to it in front of it. You, the understanding between Elliot, Lowe, and Glesnitz can still be there. 
and it can still serve as a successful second formation. But now that you have your personnel, your diamond personnel in there, the only thing you have to figure out if you're Curtin, and this is this is what you should do going into the, the Monterey game, is you bring your diamond back, you put Baizo in at right back to be more aggressive. You have Bedoya in on the right side, start Gazdag at the 10. And look, if you're going to, you either have to start Quinn Sullivan or Chris Donovan. And the other one has to come on for, for 30 or 45 in the second half next to Ua. That, that's just the way it's going to have to be. And then you do, you bring McGlynn in his attack-minded role. You have either Martinez or, or Bueno there. And boom, all of a sudden your, your bench looks incredibly deep because you have a, a starting center back you have a, and two starting midfielders coming off the bench that can help you close the game at home in in a fashion where you hope to be up one to nothing over Monterey. And we'll get into the, the psychiatry behind the, the, the third place game because that's an interesting one in, in itself. But yeah, I'm just I, I want the union to be more proactive with their formation. Uh, the three five two still serves a purpose. It will reappear at some point, but for Saturday to get you into the the, Con- the Concacaf Champions Cup, I think that's what we're calling it now, the CCL, as we know it, to get in and to, to earn that spot, you got to be more proactive at home against a team that who who the heck knows what what Monterey is going to throw out there. Yeah. How do you think that? Now let's get into that as we kind of wrap things up. I feel like we've we've gone over uh, about as much as we can with the the messy madness. <laughs> yeah. And at, at this point, look, I'm as much as, as cool as it was that all eyes are on the union. They're getting all this attention from every radio station, every TV station, everything in the city. I'm so glad they got that attention. I'm so glad it's over with. I don't know if that's how you feel, but I can just go back to talking about the union and not like the big. Because it, it's always the question. Well, see the you know Messi and the MLS. I mean these guys just aren't good. Like I don't. I Joe. I like MLS the way it is. I like it. Like to be. I, I just don't like people questioning. You know the the talent level. First of all, could you imagine being these players and you've worked hard to get to this stage, which is a pretty good stage, like pretty good league right. to be in. Like this isn't the top of the top, but hey, man, you're making a good living. You know, you're 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 playing in a professional soccer league and, you know, you have all of these great things. And to be questioned like, oh, you guys stink. Like, come on, man. And like, I, I just, man, I, I just, it, I, I always I always hate how these discussions happen. And I'm so glad that, that whenever it goes away, I'm like, okay, now I can just talk about MLS and the union because I actually, I like this. This is what I like. And for me to have to, like, try and, I hate to say prove it, it's just, you know, try and be like, well, this is why I like MLS. I just, I like it. Can I like the league for what it is? Right. We've had this, we've had this conversation before. We have. And I feel like I, I like, wanted to bring it up because this, it happened. Right. I really got frustrated with it this week. I, I got right. I think it's, And I think it's a good, to continue like reinforcing it. Like, we like soccer. We like, you know, very much compared to five years ago, very much enjoy covering the union now because. Yeah, I would, <laughs> I would imagine. I would imagine. But everybody who who listens, everybody who who attends these games, and it has been a union fan for a while. Yeah, like they're not going to stop. the The coverage is going to stop from you know, the, these bigger outlets. But I think 
the union are what they are at this point in, in the Philly sports profession. And I think there's more respect with the union because of how much success they've had. Um, Jim Curtin's a very likable coach and very open and bless his heart. Every time, you know, people show up that uh, for like one or two matches a year, he's willing to have that discussion and, 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 be open about soccer and where it stands in Philadelphia, which I think is incredible to have an ambassador to the, the city and for the game that represents the game of soccer, because there could be a, you know, the coach could just be like, Oh, well, you guys aren't here all the time. I'm not going to open up to you guys. No, Jim has, has always been incredible when in that regard. So yeah, it kind of just is what it is. Like, there will still be people on the, the internet and this will happen forever with every sport and every discussion that will get under your skin. And I've just kind of ignored it at this point. Like, cool. Like Messi being in, in MLS is awesome. There's no other way to describe it. Lionel Messi playing in our league, our dysfunctional, crazy, stupid league that makes absolutely no sense. He's here. That's awesome. Soak yeah. it in. Um, but to kind of like demean the talent level of, of every other player. Like, I mean, cool, but 2012 also wants its Twitter argument back. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Like, Thank you. Like it, we, we've been doing this since like, I, I've been covering the team for 10 years now. And like the same argument's been had for 10 years. It's like, if you're going to at least demean MLS and, and the, the talent level of these players, at least come up with something original. Yeah, and you know what? I I, want to make it clear that this is not a gatekeeping thing. I am not gatekeeping the MLS. And, like, this is my thing. This is our thing. I don't want people coming in and just looking at it and going, you're watching this? Oh, this is right. terror. And no, don't I don't want those people. If that's what they are, I then I I like the union the way that they're covered now because it's people that actually want to watch the union, be interested in the league, and that's what I want. I don't want people that look at it and go, "Well, it's fun, but you know, it's not this. It's not Premier League." I don't want that. I want to watch MLS. I want to watch and interact with people that actually like this league. So it's not a gatekeeping thing. It's I want to yeah, I want to filter out the people that just don't care about this league. And and to me, I just I'm glad it's over because now we get to have a podcast for people that want to watch the union. We get to talk to people that want to talk about the union and talk about Monterey mm-hmm. and you know what's happening with the formation, not just oh, well, did you see how bad Andre Blake was against Messi? I mean, this league's so easy. I just I don't know. That's that's that was also for me the a very big thought of I'm I'm so glad that the union are covered the way that they are and when it gets too massive like this, all it does is just bring in the people that really don't care about it. And I don't I don't like that. Plus we saved the gatekeeping for the, the Philadelphia Inquirer and telling people how to you know, use their messy tickets by or sell. Um <laughs> by or sell. We, we don't you know the the gatekeep, we, we might as well change our Twitter handles to at the gatekeeper. Um, I'm just, yeah, I, I, I don't know, because it feels like it could be like gatekeepy at times, what I'm saying about right. this, but I don't I don't want it to be. I just want, it, I want to actually enjoy this thing without being told. It's the same thing. Honestly, it feels like to me, you, you don't, uh, this is not a parallel that you can uh, relate to, but to me, it's like wrestling. 
I'm tired of justifying the people that are never going to like wrestling why I watch it. I watch it because I like it. There's no reason for me to justify it. I love it. It's the same thing with MLS. I can't watch soccer in the Premier League because I work at these times. It's really hard for me to watch. Obviously, it's overseas. You know, in the morning, it's hard for me to watch some of these leagues. It's easy for me to watch MLS. It's at a perfect time of the year where I can watch it. It's at times that are easy for me to watch. And there's a team here in Philadelphia that I like rooting for. So this is where my interest is. I have no need to justify my interest in it. And I feel like every time outsiders come in, it's just like I have to justify it all over again. I'm like, if, if that's what you're going to be like, go away. I don't I don't want you here. Yeah. I don't want – and not to, to point out specific stations because I'm not saying they're doing this, but I don't want NBC10 there. I don't want Fox there. I don't want the Inquirer there. If all it's going to do is bring in an audience that just wants to, to look at it from an outside point of view and go, wow, you watch this? I'm like, okay, yeah, I do. I do. And I think also to that point is like, well, look at the the news coverage and look at the the newspaper coverage too of this past three days, four days, whatever it may be. It was all centered around Messi. And I understand that you have to do that. It's doing a Messi's 10 greatest moments for Barcelona and Argentina slideshow is a little over the top. Um, but... Yeah, I get it if Messi's coming to town, but like, would we do this with Michael Jordan, with Patrick Mahomes, with with Tom Brady? That's that to me. That's what I was like going through the discourse, and, and my my mind can be thinking completely different from everybody else's here. But like, if if Jordan comes in, if if Le, if LeBron comes in, if when when Kobe was alive, when when he comes in, when when Brady and Mahomes play the the Eagles. Mm-hmm. Are we dedicating an entire section to them? Right. Yeah. No. Like, I, I think there's there's got to be a a balance in that coverage, and there wasn't. Heck, I'm the the press conference for the Monterey game. Well, yeah, is, we is know it's that way because they, they be, nobody be cares me and, about the me and Matthew George just sitting there asking questions like we have the the entire tournament. Like, it, it kind of just I accept it for what it is, but when people try and make all these comparisons and like the union should do this because it's messy well none of you wouldn't say a single thing about like the eagles moving a game to a stadium with higher capacity because uh, you know a certain player isn't isn't like the angels aren't the angels coming in soon should the phillies find the biggest stadium in mlb and move their games because right. Shohei otani is coming in like yes thank know, you. they they feel they just feel like really lazy takes and like People that just want to like hop in on the the bandwagon because they have not they have nothing else to add, so we're just going to make it this like generic hot takey type thing. And I get it to an extent, but also like you wouldn't cover any other team in in Philadelphia like this. And that's like if Connor McDavid comes in and faces the flag, I want to make sure we cover every everybody's bases here. You're not moving the game from the Wells Fargo Center to a bigger arena. You're not like in in competitive for competitive advantage sake. Like I get it, Messi is a li- is on a higher echelon than all of those athletes I just mentioned. But if you're going to make the comparison to the Big Four, like think about how you, how ridiculous your take sounds. It's it's so funny that you know we could talk about Brady and Mahomes and all that. I mean, the closest thing we've had to a global superstar in America like Messi is Michael Jordan, and right. 
That's it. Um, all right. I, we got to wrap things up here. Uh, thank you, Joe Tanzi, Union Soccer Pod. Uh, check us out wherever you find your podcast, unionsoccerblog.substack.com. You can subscribe. Follow Joe at jtanzi90. You can follow me at jjansen34. Enjoy the Monterey game. We'll be back with more union coverage right here on the Union Soccer Podcast.